On President Trump's Wednesday morning schedule, there was a meeting. A meeting that was to be between House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, and President Trump to iron out some bipartisan plans on infrastructure. So you had a room full of top Democrats in the White House cabinet room, including Speaker Pelosi, Leader Schumer, the chairs of the relevant committees on infrastructure, the whips, the four leaders, all sitting there waiting for this meeting to begin. And so the Democrats sat at a conference table for about 15 minutes when finally in walks the president. He stands at the head of the table, doesn't even take his seat, and begins lecturing Democrats on how they are engaged in obstruction. They don't want to cooperate. All they want to do is investigate him and that he's not interested in engaging in any sort of two-track process whereby Democrats investigate him and legislate with him at the same time. Trump told this group of Democrats that there will be no bipartisan compromise on things like infrastructure and prescription drug pricing until all congressional investigations into him are over. So this whole diatribe takes about three minutes by most accounts that we've heard. And when those three-ish minutes wrapped up, Trump headed out to the White House Rose Garden, a spot right outside his office door that's always camera ready. Trump went directly to his podium, which was affixed with a placard laying out the costs and resources used for the Mueller report. And from that presidential lectern, Trump gave a nearly 10-minute monologue. We've had a House investigation. We have Senate investigations. We have investigations like nobody's ever had before, and there's nothing, we did nothing wrong. They would have loved to have said we colluded. They would have loved it. These people were out to get us, the Republican Party and President Trump. They were out to get us. This was a one-sided, horrible thing. So why this change of plans for Trump? Why did he take a scheduled meeting from bipartisan infrastructure planning to a direct refusal to work with Democrats while they investigate him? Here's what happened. Early Wednesday, the infrastructure meeting had been on as scheduled. But according to Washington Post reporting, things changed mid-morning Wednesday after Nancy Pelosi had a meeting with her House Democratic caucus. After that meeting, she said the president is engaged in a cover-up. Trump, hearing this, was not happy, but rather than cancel the infrastructure meeting outright, the White House planned an abrupt meeting and the news conference that followed. This series of events at the White House was the latest escalation in Trump's continued pushback against the Democrats' 20-plus congressional investigations into his businesses, his presidency, and his personal finances. And now, with the president stalemating legislative progress, Democrats are forced to face difficult questions about where they go from here. At her weekly press conference on Thursday, Pelosi acknowledged the president's threat and laid out where her caucus stands on how they'll move forward. How we deal with it is a decision that our caucus makes. And our caucus is very much saying whatever we do, we need to be ready when we do it. And I do think that impeachment is a very divisive place to go in our country. 
So what's going into Pelosi's calculation not to move forward with impeachment proceedings? Might any of that change as investigations continue? And how does Trump's threat to stall legislation affect what happens next? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. I headed to the Capitol Thursday morning after all of this went down to meet up with our congressional correspondent, Mike DeBonis. I wanted to know what it would actually look like in practice for the president to stop working with Democrats until they agree to stop investigating him. So there's a number of things that the president wants to do, or at least has said that he wants to do, and that that require congressional cooperation. One of them is infrastructure, but another one is his big North American trade deal, the USMCA, that needs to be ratified by Congress. They've got fiscal talks that have to be completed at some point before this fall. There's a debt ceiling deadline looming later this year. And, you know, there's lots of little deadlines that sort of pop up all the time and and things that have to get done. So when the president says he's not going to cooperate with Congress as long as they're investigating him, people are scratching their heads and wondering, well, what do you mean you're not going to cooperate with them? I mean, there are things that just simply have to get done. There are things that you want, Mr. President, that you need our cooperation on. How far are you willing to take this? Can you elaborate at all about how the Hill is reacting generally to this declaration by Trump? I'd say it's split between people who just see this as another example of theatrics by the president. People remember during the shutdown, for instance, you know, he walked out of a meeting. There was an instance earlier last year, right after Democrats had won the House, that Pelosi and Schumer came into the Oval Office and Trump basically televised the whole meeting. There was the famous sort of exchange with Pelosi and Trump about, you know, how dare you, you know, do not question my power as uh, leader of the House of Representatives. So, I mean, we've had these theatrical moments before and like sort of the wheel has kept turning. You know, they keep talking to each other, at least in some way. But there is also a sense among people we spoke to yesterday that this could be different. If he is, you know, he is obviously frustrated by these investigations, this could be a real issue for just getting the basic work of Washington done. So this actual threat by the president might have real implications, potentially. This stalemate might actually matter? Sure. Yeah. I I think it's not just things that should get done, like infrastructure and prescription drug prices and these things that Trump says he wants to do and Democrats say they want to do, but it's things that have to get done, like the debt ceiling and funding the government and, to some degree, the tr- this trade deal, which I think both sides have an interest in finding a way forward on. How different are these circumstances, an angry president and a House speaker who's who are frustrated by each other and sort of publicly making these statements, how different is that relationship in these circumstances from what normally exists between a president and a speaker of different parties? So every president has had to deal with congressional investigations and congressional oversight. I mean, President Obama, when he was in office, had a Republican House for six years, delving into all different aspects of his presidency. President Bush, for the last two years of his Congress, had a Democratic Congress that was looking at a bunch of aspects of his presidency, his political dealing, his political office, his conduct of the war in Iraq. All of those things 
happened and those investigations went underway while they were still cutting deals with the other party. You know, with President Obama, there was, you know, fiscal talks. Uh, He never said to John Boehner, you know, I'm not going to talk to you about funding the government or working with you on other things while you're investigating me. It was just sort of assumed that that was in sort of one silo and then the the business of government was in another. That was the case with President Bush. You know, the under Speaker Pelosi actually did some bipartisan deals with him on there was a big energy bill. There was health care legislation that was negotiated. They found ways to work together. So if this threat that the president has made to completely ignore Congress as long as they're investigating him, it it would definitely be uncharted waters. So you don't expect the Democrats to stop investigations based on this particular incident? No, there's there's just no way that Nancy Pelosi and Democrats would back off if for nothing else rank political reasons, which is that the voters that put Democrats into the majority by and large, want them to investigate the president. They may not want them necessarily to impeach the president, but they definitely want investigations. They want answers on uh, a lot of outstanding questions. And Nancy Pelosi has shown no sign that she's going to back down based on what happened. Let's talk briefly about those investigations. So we've covered them a lot on this show. Can you catch me up on where some of these congressional investigations stand? There's a lot of them. There's actually, you know, we've sort of tallied them up and there's something like 20 plus in the low 20s uh, in, in terms of what the various committees are doing. Some of them are more high profile than others. And we've actually seen some movement. The House Oversight Committee has been trying to get financial records uh, for the Trump businesses out of their accounting firm. A judge this week ruled in favor of the House and said that Trump's position that this firm could not comply with the subpoena was incorrect. It's a fairly strong decision, and it's going to be appealed. They quickly agreed to expedite the appeal. The House Financial Services Committee was looking at another set of financial records with Deutsche Bank and Capital One, who have done business with Trump in the past. Again, it had gone to court. Again, a judge this week up in New York said, you have to comply with the subpoena. There's no grounds for ignoring this. So that's working its way through. Meanwhile, you've got a number of investigations into his administration, the Homeland Security Committee looking at border issues, Ways and Means Committee is looking at, obviously, his request of the president's tax returns, and that is likely to end up in litigation fairly quickly, although it's not there yet. I'm hard-pressed to come up with a single House standing committee that doesn't have some sort of outstanding investigation or document request or testimony request. Hi, everyone. I'm investigative journalist Kylie Lowe, and I'm here to tell you about my weekly podcast, Dark Down East. Each episode, I take you to my home in New England, where we truly get to know the people at the center of the cases we dive into. Join me and dig into some cases you won't hear about anywhere else. Listen to new episodes of Dark Down East every Thursday, or check out the extensive catalog of existing episodes now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Right now. And all of that sits as the context around conversations about potentially starting impeachment hearings, correct? That's right. And some of the proponents of starting what they're terming an impeachment inquiry, one of their arguments is is that by doing that, you can sort of centralize a lot of these investigations, particularly the investigations into the president's personal behavior, his business dealings, 
and so forth, that you bring it all under the umbrella of an impeachment inquiry. And that with the specific purpose of potentially considering impeachment, the Congress sort of improves its case for obtaining a lot of the data they're seeking, that they can go to courts and say, while this isn't a fishing expedition, we're actually, the House has voted to begin this inquiry, and this is squarely within our constitutional authority to undertake this and to get the materials we need. On the other hand, the Speaker, including in a closed-door meeting of Democrats yesterday, has made the case that the investigations are working as they are. We have judges ruling in our favor. The process is working. We have to have faith in it, and we have to let it play out. And that's sort of the tension right now. So it wouldn't be the decision to pursue impeachment hearings as a result of the contents of the Mueller report. That's sort of part of this equation, but not necessarily the whole thing. That's part of it. Democrats have been very consistent in saying they want to see the whole report. They want to see the parts that were redacted due to various reasons, because they came from grand juries, because they were sensitive national security matters. That is continuing to be fought over. But there's a number of Democrats who say that that's sort of beside the point, that there's already plenty unredacted portions of the report, as well as in other arenas that point to the possibility of high crimes and misdemeanors, and thus the House should at least start taking a look at impeachment. Can you lay out the political pros and cons of impeachment for Democrats? You know, the list of pros is pretty short. I mean, it it comes down to you have a base of voters who do not like President Trump, who believe that he's bad for the country, and that they think that he should be impeached and they think the House should proceed with impeachment. There's, of course, a whole lot of more substantive reasons why you might want to do impeachment from from a constitutional perspective. But from a political perspective, you want to respond to the people who put you in office and what their sort of sentiment is. The list of cons is there is some evidence historically that if you impeach a president without a significant level of public bipartisan support, what you end up doing is driving people further into their partisan corners, that you end up motivating the person who's being targeted and their base of support to be more ardently supportive of them. And, you know, sort of the classic example here is Bill Clinton in 1998, after the Monica Lewinsky affair and the Star Report, the Republican House throughout 1998 moved towards impeaching Clinton. In the 1998 midterms, they actually, usually in a, any sort of midterm scenario, the, the president's party loses seats. In 1998, that didn't happen. And that was seen as a rebuke of the Republicans in their sort of quest to impeach Clinton. And it's important to remember that Nancy Pelosi was in the House at that time. Steny Hoyer, Jim Clyburn, the top three leaders were all present for that. A lot of the people who now have committee gavels in the Democratic House were there for that. And they, I think, have been pretty convinced that there is a political cost uh, to their own party to pursuing an impeachment of the president. Right. And so do Republicans see sort of their pros and cons as an inverse of what you've just laid out? Or are there additional factors that Republicans are considering when 
you know, worrying about whether or not the Democrats will seek impeachment. You've already seen congressional Republicans sort of sketch out their argument for 2020, which is Democrats are socialists. They're going down a far left path. They want socialized medicine and the Green New Deal, which is going to completely upend everybody's lives. I think impeachment, they've started to particularly target the freshman, moderate frontliner type districts that, you know, these are folks, first term members who unseated Republicans and basically handed the House to Democrats. And Republicans are very closely policing everything they say about impeachment. And they're very careful and then they're very aggressive about pointing out when people are endorsing anything that could be construed as supporting impeachment, because I think that they they think that that's an extreme position right now and that sort of swing voters will see people who support impeachment as extremists. Do you get a sense that that will over time become a less extreme position? Are Democrats and even some Republicans warming up to the idea at all? It's hard to see right now. There are Democrats who are warming up to the idea, particularly based on the notion that Trump and the White House are stonewalling all of their document requests or refusing to cooperate or taking a by virtually any perspective what is an extreme position of saying that the executive branch is not going to submit to any constitutional oversight from the legislative branch. That's, you know, just not tenable to a vast number of uh, House Democrats. And, and we have seen this week more and more say that this idea of an impeachment inquiry makes sense. On the Republican side, there was a very notable moment when Justin Amash of Michigan, Republican congressman, said that he had seen evidence of impeachable conduct in the Mueller report. But I think to people on Capitol Hill, it was a little less bracing than it might have been for the average person who heard that a Republican congressman supported impeachment for President Trump. Justin Amash is known as being a pretty unorthodox Republican. He's a very doctrinaire libertarian who has broken with his party and breaks with his party routinely. There's not a lot of indication that there's going to be a lot of Republicans following him down that path. So for now, we'll probably see a continuation of these individual investigations, but not necessarily an effort toward impeachment, at least immediately. That's right. We had on Wednesday morning, Democrats gathered to sort of discuss this. And by all most accounts of what we got from that meeting, Speaker Pelosi bought herself some time, you know, and she made the case pretty convincingly to a lot of Democrats that the course that they are currently on of pursuing the investigations, fighting it out in court is working. They've had judges on their side and that impeachment is a last final option if things are not moving in their direction. So I think for the time being, the lid is still on, but we'll see what happens. Do you see a timeline for either when a decision will be made or when these conversations will end? Or is this something we just kind of expect to continue through the 2020 election? There's no hard deadline. There, There is sort of a seat of the pants feeling among Democrats that if we're going to pursue this seriously, we probably have to make a decision by the end of the summer, maybe early into the fall. Beyond that, sort of the public attention will swing very soundly over to the presidential race. I think by the time you're into October, November, the political world really is focused on Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina and what's going on there. And with every passing day, you get closer to the end of Donald Trump's term and you get more of a sense that for Democrats, the way this guy will be 
removed from office is going to be through the 2020 election. It's not going to be through an impeachment proceeding that has next to zero support from Republicans. Okay. My last question to you. Do you foresee any major moment that would change these things? Any discovery from these investigations or any sort of blocking from the president of of particular documents that Congress wants access to? Is there anything at this point that would be impetus for changing this? There's a couple things in sort of increasing likelihood. One is some kind of blockbuster testimony, whether it's from Robert Mueller himself, and it remains unclear if Mueller will ever testify publicly before Congress, whether it's from some of Mueller's key witnesses like uh, Don McGahn, the former White House counsel, or some other figure that we may not even know about right now, where there's a very clear case made that the president did something impeachable. The other thing that I think is more likely to precipitate an impeachment hearing is if the president escalates his defiance of Congress by refusing to comply with a court order. If this thing goes through the courts, the courts side with the House and the president still refuses to comply, I think that would bring things to another level where you have a genuine constitutional crisis where the two branches are in conflict the third branch has weighed in and then the president still isn't complying, then I think the the House would have no choice but to go down that path. All right, Mike, thank you so much for joining us in this vacated room in the Capitol. <laughs> thank you. Glad to be here. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? If you liked it, write us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and keep sharing it wherever you share things. Thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the incredibly good friend, Carol Alderman, with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. Mm